Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning. His kingdom comes. That's our series we're in. But lower than the king. Lower than the king. That's today's message. Lower than the king. Luke chapter 22, verse 25. And then I'm going to jump to John 13, verse 13. Luke chapter 22, verse 25. Uh, It's no easy thing uh, to give up something, especially when it costs you everything. It's no easy thing to give up something, especially when it costs you everything. Easy thing, something, everything. Uh, I, over the last years, I've, as soon as I've been into ministry, I've been able to pastor with people and, and know different people and, and know some young men going into ministry. I've, I've met some men who, who are finishing their degree, years in debt, years in struggle, and years in work, and some have given up all for the sake of the gospel. I know one young man who gave up a very uh, prestigious career and uh, laid it all down. I knew one young man who uh, completed his Ph.D., finished all the years of work of his Ph.D., and responded to the call of God to give up that Ph.D. and go into missions. I mean, it's no easy thing to give up something if it costs you everything. And uh, what is it to give up everything and follow Christ? You know, it's hard to give up sometimes what we value Maybe what we've worked for, it's hard to give up maybe the crown of success in, in your life. You know, when you become an adult, sometimes in adulthood you struggle with uh, how successful you are, struggle with your plan, struggle with what you have ahead of you. Uh, for instance, later on in adulthood, you may wonder about your life's value. You'll ask questions like, well, how did I end up here? How did I get here? I thought I'd be somewhere else by now. I had all these dreams when I was a kid, and I thought I'd do this or this, and or I thought I'd be further along than this by now. I thought me and my family would be further along than this. Or you might wonder, uh, what's next uh, in your season of life? And while I love our community, and I know for, for a fact God called us here, and I, and I love uh, Central Louisiana, I love our family. You know, my family is in Northeast Louisiana. This is, Louisiana is very much at home for me, not much so much for my wife, but her family's in Missouri, my family's in Louisiana, Southeast Arkansas. And I know that God called us here 10 years ago, and I knew that, and we've done some phenomenal things for the Lord in our community and uniting churches together. We've built churches overseas. We've supported all kinds of local outreaches. Uh, and I know that, but sometimes you begin to reflect. And so as I was coming up, knowing Beth and I are coming up on our end of our 10 years here with you and begin to reflect, you know, my flesh began to ask some of those questions. All right, God, I've given a decade to this community. Where are we? Where are we going? What's next? What's yet ahead for our church and for my family? Uh, you know, in giving a decade to a place, 10 years of your life to a people, and to a place is no small thing to look back and say, I've given a decade. I've only, you're only on this earth 70 years, 80 years, maybe 90 years if you're lucky. And one decade is given to this community that I'm not from. And I love it, but I gave a decade to it. And I began to ask the Lord, all right, God, I've given a decade to these people and to this place. And, and you know, you kind of wonder, God, did I make a difference? Was it worth it? Was the sacrifice of my family and our time and all the labor, was it, was it worth it? So we went off to a conference a few weeks ago, and, 
And I began to pray that. That was just the struggle of my heart. God, what's next? What's ahead? Have I made a difference in people's lives in the last decade of my life? Has it been worth it? And God, you know how he does, looks, looked at me and began to talk to me, and he said, Heath, but am I worth it? Am I worth it? Heath, am I worth a decade of your life? And while I may work for you and I may serve you, ultimately I work for him and I serve him. And Jesus is worth the last decade of my life. He's worth the next decade of my life. And he's worth the next decade of my life. He's worth it. I'm serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's worth every decade. No matter where he calls or what he says do, he's worth it. He's worthy. We serve a great and mighty King. And he is worth whatever crown I can lay down. We all want to be great. We all want to be doing great. We all want to be right. We all want to be done right. And sometimes serving God can be done just to receive a blessing in this life. We think we're earning a spot in heaven. We're doing God a favor. We can work for God without worshiping. Uh, even in our best efforts, we try to follow him, but sometimes we lose that feeling of awe for this king we serve. Andrew, uh, A.W. Tozer, rather, he said, Worship is to feel in the heart and to express in some appropriate manner a humbling, a delightful sense of admiring awe. Somebody say awe. awe. It's an awe. Worship is an awe. And worship, by definition, is declaring the worth of God. It's the worth-ship. It's to declare the worth, the value of God. And worship, uh, by definition, means to bow low. It means to come before as if you were coming to pay homage to a king, that you would bow low in reverence. And that's literally where we get the word worship, to declare the worth of the king and bow low to him. And worship should cost you something. It's a cost. It costs me humbling myself to declare the worth of him, that the worth of him is worth whatever I have to give to pay homage to him, to worship him. And so the question this morning is, what is your worship costing you? And is he worth it? See, sometimes worship can be living on less to give more. Worship can be giving up your pride and learning to hold your tongue. Worship can be giving up your privileges to be passed over. Worship can give, give, be giving up your rights to be taken advantage of. And it's going to cost you sometimes everything. You see, it's no easy thing to give up something, especially when it costs you everything. To cost you everything. Our worship should cost us something. And why would you do this? Because the worth of Christ is worth more than your worship will ever cost. The worth of Christ is worth more than your worship will ever cost. Look with me in Luke chapter 22, verse 25. What's the value of your worship, and what is your worship costing you? You've got to go lower than the king. But worship means to bow down. So we're talking this morning about going lower than the king. So let's go back in time, go back to the first century. It's the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed. It's that night of the Last Supper when all the disciples are there. And Jesus has told them he's about to go to the cross. This great king, most high, is about to adorn himself with a crown of thorns. And he's about to be made a public spectacle of men. And he has his 12 followers there. And maybe some ladies out in the peripheral, they're there. They're celebrating the Passover 
And he has told them what's going to happen. And these guys have been kind of arguing along the way to Jerusalem. Who's going to be the greatest? And he's kind of had to rebuke them a few times and, and talk to them about this cup of suffering. He's coming. And, he, they, and in the night, they, in the first century, they sat in order of a hierarchy. They think of a U table. A table that's in a U-shape. And as Jesus said, he would sit with one man on his right, one man on his left, leaning, reclining. And the left seat would be a seat of honor. And they're there in order. And I don't know how they chose who sat where that night. But let's just imagine that Peter's at the very bottom. And we find ourselves, uh, he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. So where do you think they begin to look? They look at the lowest spot. It's probably one of those guys at the end of the bench. It's probably one of those guys who's not as honorable as these guys close to him. And so they begin to say, well, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And they begin to vie for position and to just say, it's not me. It must be you. They begin to fight and quarrel among themselves about who was the greatest in the kingdom. Who should be deserving of sitting at that place in honor? And Jesus begins to teach him this great lesson we're going to learn today that it's not him who exalts himself, but him who humbles himself. It's not who's first, who's going to be last. Because do you know who is seated at the seat of honor next to him that night? It was Judas. Judas had the first seat at the table. You have to go lower than the king. So here's what he says to them in Luke 22, verse 25. He says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not this way with you, because the one who is greatest, somebody say greatest, the one's greatest among you must be like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I among you as the one, I'm the serving? And you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And listen, you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In that moment, Jesus takes, stands up. He goes over to this wash basin. He lays aside his outer garment. He takes this uh, pot, and he begins to go behind the table and wash all of their feet. And then he says to them, we pick it up in John 13, verse 13. Here's what he says. He sat back down with him. He says, well, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. But if I then, Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. And truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. He says, the thrones I'm going to give you are reserved for servants. I'll grant you greatness, but it's not going to be in the way of the world's greatness. These thrones are for servants. I'm going to give you crowns. But these crowns are for those who carry their cross. Because why? You have to go lower than the king. You have to go lower than the king. These four real quick things. We'll wrap it up today. Be great, doing great, be right, 
and be done right. These are the four things I felt this week that this is what our natural flesh wants to do. We want to, number one, be great. Just like these guys, they wanted to be great. And we want greatness. Who doesn't want to leave a great life? Who doesn't want promotion? Who doesn't want privilege? Who doesn't want someone to clap for you and say, boy, great job. We all want to be great. There's some part of us, we, we all look to mom and dad, mom, dad, watch me, watch me. We all do that. Even today, we, as adults, we all want to secretly. We know we're not supposed to, but we do. We want, our flesh wants greatness. But here's our king. And listen to what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He begins to rebuke the religious elite for loving titles and seats of honor and comparing their works to one another. And he says to the disciples, he says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The greatest among you, he says in Matthew 23, should be your servant. Matthew 19, many who are first will be last. If you want to receive a kingdom blessing, he says, in the age to come, he says it's going to be people who give them houses and homes and families and all this stuff for the sake of his name. And he says they're going to receive as much and more, even a hundred times as much in the age to come. I'm going to give them greatness, but it's going to come through a cross. I'm going to give them a crown, but it's going to come through a cross. They're going to have a throne, but it's going to come through humbling themselves to be exalted. He says everybody wants greatness, but the greatness you're looking for is not here it's over there. Somebody say amen. He says everybody wants to be great. Number two, everybody wants to do great. Everyone not just wants to be great, but we want to be doing great. Don't you want to do well? Man, I just, it's like we had a bad week. I want a better week. We think some part of us deserves to have a good week. I mean, unless you've got something wrong with you, we'll have counseling later. But unless you wake up and say, man, I hope I have a bad week this week. Nobody does that, right? We all want to have a good week. We all want to be doing well. We, that's why we invented social media, to show everybody how well we're doing. I mean, right? Look at my week. We went to the Bahamas. Or look, I ate a piece of cheese toast. I don't know. But you had a great week. We all want a great week. And so, but how does that work? Jesus, you know, his life never did well by earthly standards. He had no permanent home. He had no 401k or wealth. Very few people even understood what the guy was saying. Okay? His closest friends would betray him. Then all of his friends would leave him. Nobody would believe him. His ministry would completely collapse before he died. And he'd have no followers, no social media campaign, nobody in his church seats. They'd all left him and fled. Then he suffered and died as a blasphemer and an enemy of the state. <laughs> Success. We all want to be doing great. But when we look at our king, how do we bow low? How do you go lower than a guy that went that low? How do you go low? If I'm going to worship a guy and the king is exalted and I'm supposed to be lower than the king, how do I bow low to a guy like that? How do I get lower than him? We can strive to build up a happy and successful life. Jesus says in Luke 12, there'll be some who are productive, but they won't be prepared. We can work to acquire so we can retire. But Jesus said, if you store up for yourself things on this earth, moth and thief will steal and destroy. But if you store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, it's going to last for eternity. There's a doing great on this earth, but there's also a doing great in the kingdom. A doing great in the kingdom. Paul says, if by any means I can attain the resurrection of the dead, even to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's kingdom greatness. Paul was doing great. I've been shipwrecked, snake bit, abandoned, stoned a couple times, several times been flogged up 39 times. And I count it all as nothing and joy for the sake of 
knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. How do I measure greatness? How do I measure how well I'm doing? Go lower than the king. Number three is we all want to be right. Everybody loves to be right. Very few of us enter an argument thinking we're wrong, <laughs> especially in marriage. You know, honey, I know I'm always wrong. Maybe you've learned that by now. You're more mature than most of us. But you don't argue if you think you're wrong. We, we argue because we think we're right. We all come from a position of being right. That's just our natural default position in the flesh. We all feel like we're right. And we all want to have the last word in an argument. And here's our king. The very definition of truth, and the world calls him a liar. He made the world, by the way. He spoke it into existence with the same word that he spoke the world. He spoke things in this life into existence. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of, of man. I am that I am. I'm the living water. I'm the bread. He begins to say the same words that spoke the world into existence. He begins to declare, here's who I am. Here's what I've come to do. And they said, you're a liar. You're a blasphemer. You're a son of the devil. You're casting out devils by the devil. He was right. And that moment as they began to take him that next day and begin to beat him and beat him and beat him. You know what the Bible says? He uttered not a word. He uttered not a word. The only thing that we have him saying on the way from that place to the cross is repeatedly saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So how do I, in an argument, be right? Go lower than the king. I all want to do great. I want to do, be, be great. I want to be right. But I want to go lower than the king. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll inherit, they shall be called sons of God. Paul said, if you want to boast, boast in the Lord. He said to his uh, adults in the church, to those who are growing in Christ's likeness, he said those that are mature in Christ in Titus 2, 2 should be mild-mannered or temperate. He says the Lord's bondservants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, patient when wronged. He says, I'm willing to give up my rights for the sake of knowing that other people will find Christ. And with a Gentile, I'll be a Gentile. A Jew, I'll be a Jew. I'll, I'll give up my preferences. I have privilege. I don't have to abide by this law. But I'll, I'll surrender my rights for the sake of other people coming to know Jesus. Even if I'm right, I'll, I'll be quiet just so they can see Jesus. He says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We all want to be great. But our king was humble. We all want to be doing great, but Jesus was despised and rejected. We all want to be right, but Jesus was called a liar and a blasphemer. And we all want to be done right. We all want to be done right. We all want to be treated fairly. If somebody else in your core, in your, your cubicle, in your office, they all get a raise, and you don't get a raise, you get passed over, we think, well, hey, who am I? I deserve this. I deserve that. In, in fact, when you're wronged, what do you say to someone? You, like you're complaining to your spouse because someone did you wrong at work or at school or whatever. And we say, they owe me an apology. Why do you think you're owed anything? Let's see the words that we use. They owe me. They owe me. Why? Because I think I'm, I'm, I deserve that. They owe me. They should give me an apology. They, I, they, I'm owed an apology. And here's our king despised and rejected. He says, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, say kinds of false things about you because of me. He says, don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other. If anyone who wants to take your shirt, give him your coat. 
It says, whoever wants to go one mile with you, go two. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What was he saying? In the ancient Jewish culture, when Jews were occupied by Rome, there was a, an oppression, oppression on the Jews, but Rome... In its, in its oppression, had some limits. And a, a Roman soldier could force a Jew to carry his pack, his stuff, one mile, but the law would cut it off at one mile. They, you could be in the middle of anything, and a Roman soldier say, you're going to walk one mile with me. Take my bags, boy, and walk. And Jesus says, all right, if he takes you by law one mile, show him grace and go two. Man, they could slap you. They could rough you up. He says, just let them slap you up again the other way. He says, if somebody takes your coat and robs you of it, just give them something else. Give, give, them, give them the shirt. They, they, someone could be owed this. This could be what the, the minimal standard is for what other people think is normal behavior for grace, what's fair and what's proper. And he says, go the extra mile. That's where we get these phrases from. Go the extra mile. So here's the question. Is my worship going the extra mile? Is my worship of the king, not just singing some songs and raising my hands, but is it costing me something to go lower than the king in my daily life, in my religious routine? <coughs> he says it's more important, than to more important to forgive a person than to fight for your rights to be equal with them. Paul says there are times even in the church he rebukes the Corinthians. He says, guys, you are suing and fighting one another inside of you. And he says, isn't it better that you would just accept the wrongs? Just accept that you've been cheated out of money and move on with life. There are times in this earthly life you have got to go lower than the king and just get over it. That's not PR, and that doesn't sound nice, but that's what Jesus did. Sometimes you just got to get over it and go lower than the king. Amen. Oh, well, hallelujah. Glory to God. This is a shouting one right here. Willing to let it go. You know why? Because I'm not greater than Jesus. Amen. And when I can bow lower to him and it costs me something, see, it's just easy to give up something. But when you have to give up everything, my pride, oh, God, what they owe me. You, Lord, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they talked about. God, I've given up everything. I sacrificed for these people. I've done this and they've treated me this way. Go lower than the king. Amen. Go lower than the king. Why? Let's wrap it up with this. Look at Revelation 4 4. Jesus says to these guys, let's go back to that night. He says to these guys, they're fighting for greatness. They want to be great. They want to do great. They want to be right. They want to be done right. And John gets this glimpse at the end of his life. Jesus has promised them crown, uh, crowns, he's promised them thrones. But here's our king, the only crown he ever received on the earth was a crown of thorns. And here's our king, the only throne he received on the earth was an empty and borrowed tomb. John gets a vision, though, of that day that Jesus promised him. John's in prison in Patmos for doing exactly what Jesus called him to do. And John writes in Revelation 4, 4, he says, Around the throne I was seeing 24 elders and 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments, and golden crowns were on their head. In verse 9, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they, they fall down. Somebody say down. They fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their 
crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. What is he saying? He sees crowns. The, the Greek word is Stephanos. This is the, the word for garland, like what you see on the little Caesars guy, right? It's the wreath of garland that you'd see at the end of the Olympic Games. It was a, it was a prize for running your way, race well. It was an award, an accolade. It was something that you were given uh, because you'd done something, a symbol of honor, a sign of success. Remember I said it was about giving up success? It was a sign of success, and normally it'd be like a greenery wreath, but he says these were golden. Golden crowns for running your race well. Golden crowns of success. Great job. boy! You are great. You've done great. You're right. Man, you're doing right. Good job. He says in that moment, now he sees himself. This is kind of cool. He sees 24 elders. We think maybe the 12 patriarchs, or the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, the 12, patri- you know, with the patriarchs, we see the 12 uh, apostles. Maybe Paul's in there. I don't know. But it represents the church. Most commentators think this is representative of the whole church. And he says, I saw them, men who finally gained their greatness. They gained their rightness. They did well. boy. He says, when they got there, and got their garland of gold, once they beheld that king, they cast it down. They cast their crowns. Why? This wasn't a church service stirred up by a worship leader. It wasn't from a pastor who moved your emotions. It was that when they saw him, when they saw him, they beheld the king. There wasn't a division of opinions. There wasn't differences in responses. Every single person bowed low. Bowed lower than the king. Why? Because in total adoration, total fascination, Tozer said it was in the presence of infinite excellence. It was inconceivable splendor. It was in the magnitude of his might. It was with the infinity of his excellence. And the wow of wonders, Christ captured them. He captured them. And they bowed lower than the king. This is heavenly worship. Every time you bow lower than the king, you worship with heaven. Because up there, nobody's arguing over denominations. Nobody's arguing over whether you should speak in tongues or not, or women in ministry. Nobody's arguing over what bathroom you can go to. Nobody's arguing if it's Republicans or Democrats or who's in the white. Nobody's arguing. They just all bow lower than the king. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses, He is Lord. So what is your worship costing you? What is your worship costing you? What is the value of your worship? There was a young lady, um, Frances Havergal, um, a young Christian lady in the late 1800s. In 1873, Frances, she was a young Christian lady. She'd been really good at poetry and writing songs. And she was struggling in her life because she'd loved God and done great things for God. But she felt like there was a barrier. There was more to be experienced. And one day she read this little devotional and just gave her a bigger picture of Jesus. And she, in that moment, she had an encounter with God uh, in her house. 
And it just astounded her. She just never saw Jesus this way. His love came alive to her, his sacrifice, the blood on the cross. It just became so real to her. So in 1873, she had this experience with God where she saw and beheld the king. From that moment on, she devoted everything and every moment into her life before the Lord. She said, from sunrise to sunset, I'm going to make sure every minute, every hour, every day is the Lord's. All my money is the Lord's. She began to get rid of all the fancy things she wore. She didn't put on anything nice. If she was going to buy something nice, it was because it was going to last longer. She got rid of all the fancy things. She sold all of her jewelry, gave it to missions. She began to work for the poor. She began to read her Bible uh, to groups and to uh, people who needed to be read the Bible. Bible too. She started writing songs, working every day to win souls to Christ. One day, on uh, the songs that she wrote, uh, she was cheated out of money with the publishers, and she just gave it to the Lord and said, God, uh, you've got a plan uh, in my persecution. One day, the fire uh, took her house, uh, where the house where her stuff was, her songs, her lyrics, the things she'd been given to the Lord. Her life's work was burnt out and burned up, and she just rejoiced in the Lord. And finally, even when she was dying and her health just began to go down and she couldn't do what she wanted to do, she just began to worship because she saw that God had a purpose and plan in everything. She penned, one year after she had that experience, she penned this song. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my silver and my gold, not one mite would I withhold. And take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thy own, it shall be thy royal throne. Consecration to the king. She said, God, all my money is yours, not one penny, not one cent is my own. God, every moment of all my days, God, let it flow in ceaseless praise, endless praise. God, every moment of every day, may my life be bowing before the King. And God, may my heart be the throne that you live on. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? What sort of crown are you laying down? before the king do you have such a value in the worth of Christ that you know your worth your worship will never it will never meet the cost it'll never measure up but i'm going to lay down my crown see we can be working for a reward but are we worshiping in wonder are we worshiping in wonder? Maybe you need to give up your busy life to behold him. We've been so busy, we've had no time to behold him. Is your worship going lower than the king? Lower than the king, lower than the king. Jesus. Lord, I want to humble myself. Lord, crucify the flesh in me. Search me and know me, O oh God. See if there's any way in me unpleasing to you. Lord, I just confess my dependency on you. Whatever you ask of me.